Bishut Harav Shachta. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a big honor for me to be here to speak to you. Uh, and thank you for coming in spite of the rain and in spite of the fact that it's a public holiday. Uh, but then uh, that's where Jews should be learning, especially when they have a time off. Um, I was told I'm speaking to, uh, to Balibatim, who are not necessarily professionals. And so I will pitch my talk uh, for Balibatim. Um, it was decided I would speak about Kuach Nefesh. Um, and I'll start off by, by asking a, a rhetorical question. I don't expect an answer because uh, I hope I'll be able to give the answer later on. But the question starts off with, with uh, the Sif in Shimon Shin Kafchet in Shulchan Aruch which says that uh, and the Mishnah Buru there talks about the fact that uh, a patient who is in Sakanat Tifashot then one is uh, virtually not allowed to ask a shaila from a Rav because the Rav should have taught you this beforehand, what you should do. And uh, in any case, you mustn't waste time because the patient who is seriously ill may become even more seriously ill while you go running around looking for the Rav. Most of the not that I know of, will answer a telephone on Shabbat. So you have to go looking for him and you go to shul and he's giving a shir somewhere else. And by that time, the patient may well be one foot in the next world. So you, you have to decide what to do. And so... Says, and to the best of my knowledge, the Shulchan Aruch wasn't written for me and people like me, physicians, doctors, nurses. It was written for the whole of Am Israel. And I, how does the Shulchan Aruch expect the whole of Am Israel to decide what a is? I have enough difficulty uh, when I see a patient uh, many times, just by talking to him and examining him, I'm not sure that he's a chole sheish sakana. I'm not sure whether he's got the flu or whether he's got pneumonia. I have to do tests, blood tests, x-rays. Uh, so the man in the street, someone at home has, has a temperature and, and uh, everyone else has the flu. And you're not sure about this person. He's an old person, he's a child. Whether he has uh, the flu or whether he's got a complication of, of pneumonia, how you, uh, of, uh, of influenza, how are you supposed to know? What did the Shulchan Aruch expect from the ordinary Jew? I say ordinary as opposed to the doctor or the nurse or someone who has some kind of medical education. Um, if it's bad enough for me, uh, how, does, how do you know? Because someone who's fallen and had merely fainted or he's had some catastrophe that needs uh, immediate treatment. You can't hesitate. And on the other hand, you being a Shomer Shabbos person, has, you've never ever Mechal Shabbos in your whole life. You may be 50 years old, 60 years old, 70 years old, and you've never ever mechal Shabbos. And all of a sudden you're faced with a situation where you have to mechal Shabbos. And you are the only person who can decide whether you have to mechal Shabbos, it's a mitzvah, it's a chovah, or whether it's also to mechal Shabbos, because he's uh, recovered in another couple of minutes, and there's nothing wrong with him. Um, I'll tell you a story that actually happened. It's not exactly... Thank you very much. It's not exactly... Uh, fits what I'm saying, but it gives you an idea. Uh, many years ago, on uh, the night of Yom Kippur, I daven in a different shul than my wife does. Uh, she's about 100 meters away from me in another shul. Thank you. She's about uh, 100 meters away from me, and I'm on the first floor, and she's down the road. And uh, we just finished Kal Nidre, and we're just about to start Mariv on... Uh, the night of Yom Kippur, and I see, I was, I was sitting next to the door, and I see my wife running up the stairs. Um, 
and I realised she wasn't inviting me to a cup of tea, so without waiting for her to come up to me, I ran down, met her halfway down the stairs, and she said the shoe, I realised something was happening in her shoe, so I ran there, uh, I got there within seconds, uh, you know, a minute, half a minute, and I found someone who weighs about 130, 140 kilo, he, he had a very, very big chest, and he was black, literally black. He had uh, just had his Sudam of Seket, and he had coded, his heart had stopped, he'd stopped breathing, and in the process he had vomited and aspirated all or most of the food that he'd eaten uh, an hour ago into his lungs. And uh, I realized that trying to resuscitate him was a waste of time, but I tried. In the meantime, they called the Hatsala, and uh, the Magenta Vidadon came uh, about 10 minutes later, I was trying to work on him, but I realized it was, it was a lost job. They came and, they, and they, they, they used the paddles on him and gave electric shock and all the rest of it. Nothing worked, and he was pronounced dead. Uh, that's the story. I won't go on with the rest of it. Some weeks later, I was in shul, and a young man that I know, he was in his 30s, came over to me and started to cry. And I, I didn't know what was happening here. Why, why should he come over to me and why should he be crying? Literally, the tears were coming down his face. I knew him from the district. And he said to me, he said, um, he is a, he's served in the Israeli army. He served as a, as a first line uh, medical attendant. No, he wasn't a doctor, but he was one of the first people to get to the job. He fought in the wars, the previous wars of Israel. And he had experience in treating wounded soldiers firsthand until the uh, doctor arrived. He says, I was in shul that night. Do you remember that night, El Yom Kippur? I said, of course I remember. He says, I was there in shul. I was a couple of meters away from the patient, he says. But I was rooted to the ground. I didn't know, I, I just forgot everything I'd ever learned. I didn't know what to do. I just stood there. He says, and maybe if I would have started to work on him until you came, Maybe he would be alive today. Maybe I, by not doing what I have learned to do, what I've done in the past, I'm responsible for his death. So this is someone who was trained. This is someone who not only was trained, had first-hand experience in a battlefield of treating wounded soldiers. But this was a different setting. He wasn't prepared for it, both mentally and, and, and psychologically. You go into battle, you know what you're facing, you know what's going to happen. He wasn't shul, definitely like anyone else. Who would think that someone would, would suddenly drop dead in the middle of shul? He wasn't prepared for it. And he was rooted, he had what we would call shell shock. I told him, I said, I said, I don't think if you would have started even before I came, nothing would have helped. You don't have to worry, this, this man was, was dead when he hit the ground and, and, and nothing in the world would, would have saved him. So this is someone who was trained. The ordinary person, the ordinary father, mother, son, daughter, brother, sister in the house, when something like that happens, Kalvachomer, that they'd be stuck to the ground. They won't know what to do. They'll go through their minds. Shabbos on the one hand, and maybe Pekwach Nefesh on the other hand. Shabbos is definite. You know it's Shabbos. There's no Shaila about it. Pekwach Nefesh is, is a Shaila. It's a big question mark in front of it. Is he Pekwach Nefesh or isn't he? And you have sometimes seconds to decide to go to the phone and, and call for help or not. Uh, if you know how to do first aid, uh, to respire the patient when he's not breathing, you have to do that immediately. You hesitate, precious seconds could be lost. So how does a shulchan aruch pass in a halacha, which is not the maizah? It tells you 
that every time you see a, a, a patient with pikuach nefesh, and I'll stop there, period. What is pikuach nefesh? How do you define such a thing? How do you get over your suffix as to whether or not I should be chavu shabbos? I always bring uh, this example. It's a, it's a made-up example. It may not be a good one, but it's the example I always use. Two families living side by side in the same building. One is a young couple that have been married now a few, uh, nine months, ten months, twelve months, and they've got a little baby who's a month old. Next to them is another couple. They've been married many years, and they have seven or eight kids, and the last child was a baby one month old. So we have two mothers and two babies, one a young mother, one an older mother, and two babies exactly a month old in the two apartments. And two o'clock in the morning, doesn't matter any morning, not necessarily Shabbat, both babies wake up and start crying. And then they cry and they scream until the mother comes to them. So the mother who's got seven kids will come to this baby, she'll pick him up, she'll kiss him, she'll cuddle him, and the baby settles down, and within minutes he's fast asleep, she puts him back in his cot, and that's the end of the story. The other mother comes along, she picks up the baby, she kisses him and cuddles him, and the baby screams. And screams even more and even more and even more. And this young mother has never seen a baby in her life. This is her first, first baby. It's, it's something so precious to her, she doesn't know what to do. So she's going to hit the, 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 the crisis button and call for help. She's going to call a doctor, she's going to call a cab, she's going to take the baby to, to the ER. She's going to do something because she's scared stiff that this baby has some severe disease and that he's going to die unless she does something. I'm talking about a weekday, there's no Shabbos in the, in the program. What's the difference between these two women? What if it was Shabbos and the same thing happened on Shabbos? One did nothing, no Hillel Shabbos whatsoever, and the other one probably got into the car and drove the car to the ER room. Are they... Is one guilty and the other one uncaring? Obviously not. They both did what they knew what to do. The older woman with seven kids has had experience of a crying baby over and over again over the years. She knows exactly when she takes this baby in her arms, she is relaxed. And the baby says, this is my mummy. And therefore, this is my mummy. And he calms down and he goes to sleep. The other woman is not relaxed, she's tense, she's, she's, she's in a situation of pikuach nefesh, she's thinking about. And her arms are tense, and the baby says, this is not my mummy. This is another strange woman, I want my mummy. And he continues to scream. And she gets into a car and she takes him to the ER. Has she done anything wrong? Absolutely not. Whatever she did was entirely correct. Why? Because she had a doubt in her mind. And there was no one else present who could tell her you were right or you were wrong. The Tosfus in, in Yuman, I think it's Peidal, uh, Pe the Beheh, uh, Amun Aleph, says, Under no circumstances should you do or not do something which will lead to the death of a Jew. What is Tosfus telling us? One in a hundred chance, one in a thousand chance, one in a million chance? Obviously, somewhere along the line, a human being has to make that decision. It is your decision, and only you can make it because you're the only one on the spot. And therefore, if you have a suffix, the slightest suffix, if you are not willing to sign on the dotted line, not here, after 120, when you're up in the Beit Shalmala, if you're not willing to sign there, that when I did not do anything for this patient on Shabbat, it was because I was a million times 
certain that there was not pikuach nefesh, then you're okay. But if you're not going to sign that piece of paper in Olam Haimet, then you should have a Chalash Shabbos down here. Because Suffolk Pikuach Nefesh and Suffolk Sfek of Pikuach Nefesh and a million Sfekot of Pikuach Nefesh in your mind and no one else's mind is enough for you to mechayev you to mechal Shabbos for that patient. You can mechal Shabbos a hundred times for no reason at all. To the best of my knowledge, there is only one place in the whole of Shulchan Aruch where he hands out medals. The Mechaber hands out a medal to, to, to someone who does something. Nowhere else does he do this. And the medal he hands out is not for this world, for the next world. The story then is Shulchan Aruch, same Shin Tafhet, um, I think it's Tetvav Tetzain, Sif Tetvav Tetzain, that uh, someone falls ill and a doctor comes along and he says, this man will die unless you give him a, a, a ripe uh, um, um, fig. And there aren't figs around, but everyone in that room, there are 10 people in that room, each one knows of a tree where there's a fig. So each one rushes out and runs to the tree. We're talking about Shabbos. He plucks the fig from the tree. That's already a sutura. He carries the, 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 the fig through the Shusarabim. And then he carries it from the Shusarabim to the Shusayochi. He's got a few Isurei Torah in his pocket that he's done on that Shabbos. Ten people go and bring back ten figs. One of them is the first. The first one gives the fig to the patient. The patient sits up and says, good Shabbos. He's feeling fine. The other nine, they've done nothing. They're mechal Shabbos for nothing. You should have had a bit more caution. You saw one guy running out. What are you running for? You ran out because either you didn't see that guy or because you thought you could get there before him. What you did was a mitzvah and you get a medal from the Shulchan Aruch who says that not only are you not hired, you will get rewarded, but the Shulchan Aruch knows what Hashem is going to give you and not know you. Yes, he does. He's promising you that even though you mechal Shabbos for nothing, and you should have had more sense than seeing the other guy running first and sit there and let him go and do it, but you thought you could get there, you could give the patient and save his life before the other guy because you could run faster or your tree was closer, whatever. You are promised by the Mechaber, Yeshlos Chartov Mirashem. So there is no Shaila in my mind. Unfortunately, I can write a book on the sort of people who are sitting here, uh, old ranges of Frumkite, who on Shabbos refused to treat a patient who was obviously Nefesh. they went looking for the Rav, they went looking for a Goy. I, I, I'll tell you one fantastic story happened again. I live, I live uh, in Bait Fadan, those of you who know, it's not far from, Bait, from the hospital of Sharizedek. And a woman who was having her, I can't remember, sixth or seventh uh, birth, she said to her husband, I think I'm having birth pains. And he said, okay, uh, oh yes, it's Shabbos. Now, how do we get to Sharizedek? Okay, you know what, we'll, 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 uh, we'll, we'll walk down. And they started walking down the hill. And halfway down the hill, she says to her husband, this is a from Talmud Hochum. Okay, I'm not talking about someone who's Amaretz. Um, and, and she said to her husband in the middle of the street, she said, I think I can feel the head coming out. Okay, can you imagine a more bigger, bigger, bigger Pikuach Nefesh than that? A husband who knows nothing about delivering babies in the middle of a broad street. I mean, unfortunately, even though there were to a cars there, but who's going to stop? Because a man and woman are talking to each other. Uh, so he left his wife, he ran back, and uh, he looked for the shop school. 
Unfortunately, he didn't find the sharpest boy and he took his car and drove down and took his wife. They got him just through the doors of the hospital and the baby already was, was, was crying. Um, it, it hits you because you are unprepared. And, and unlike a physician, a, a nurse who's prepared for emergencies, we live our lives dealing with emergencies. The man in the street is unprepared. And the Shulchan is telling you, based on that tosis, that if you have the slightest doubt, then you must mechalot Shabbos, even if at the end you're proved to have done this for nothing. I'll tell you one more psaq I got from Rav Obach Tzatzal, Rav Shabbos Obach, to illustrate what it means to mechalot Shabbos for nothing. I, I, I used to ask them theoretical questions, and this is entirely theoretical, I'm sure it never ever happens, but I wanted to know what would happen if. I, I told them told the following story. I said, there's a family sitting around the Shabbos table on Shabbos morning, and somebody, one of the members sitting around the table faints. And he falls on the floor and nobody knows what's the matter with him. And two people rush to the two separate telephones. One picks up the telephone, he's a member of the family. He knows that this patient's doctor, who knows him over the years, uh, will come straight away on Shabbos to see him. But the doctor lives at the other end of town. So he phones him because he thinks that he's the right person to treat, to, to treat the patient. He's the one who knows him. The other one doesn't know from nothing. He calls Hatsalom Magin David Adom, and uh, they happen to be right in that street, with, just finished with another patient, and they come along within two minutes, and they see the patient. The patient has either died, or he has recovered, or they've taken him to hospital. That part of the story is finished. The doctor who is coming from the other end of town, driving his car as fast as he possibly can with the, within the law, to get to see this patient who is supposedly hasn't the faintest idea that this patient has recovered or has been taken to hospital or doesn't need his help at all, is driving. And when you drive a car on Shabbat, it's not one issue. You probably, from the distance from, from uh, where this doctor that I'm making up the story lives in, in Gula or, 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 or way down in, in Mashorim, will make hundreds of Torah. Every time you, you press on the, on, the, on, the, on the pedal, every time you turn a light on or off, you're doing Israel the Rabbanan and Israel Torah. And I said to Rav Obach Zatzal, if I'm in that house, and I know that this patient has been taken care of, and I know this doctor is making a completely useless, worthless journey, and there are no penny phones, there are no nothing, he just carries a beeper, and I can call him and tell him, don't come, we don't need you anymore, Baruch Hashem, the patient's okay. We don't need your help, thank you very much, I'll talk to you on Shabbos and tell you what happened. Am I allowed to do this or not? If I talk to him on Shabbos, I'm doing an issue. One can discuss whether the issue is the rice or the rabbana. I won't go into that. But I'm doing an issue. But on the other hand, I'm saving another Jew from doing hundreds of issurim on that same time. Isn't that a good bargain? I would have thought it was. And Ravobach said no. You know why he says it's not a good bargain? You're doing an issue and he's doing a mitzvah. Don't take away his mitzvahs. Understand what's happening here? Don't take away his mitzvahs, even though I know that he's not doing any mitzvah at this moment in time. In Shemaim, they know that he's not doing a mitzvah. The patient knows he's not the only person in the whole world who thinks he's doing a mitzvah is the doctor. I want to stop him because I know he's doing Averis, and Averis which have nothing to do with Pikuach Nefesh. But in his mind, he's driving for the mitzvah of Pikuach Nefesh, and therefore, Yerus Hartov Min Hashem. And that was Rav Hobach's psaq. Next time, if you come across a patient 
in the street, uh, some other place, and you're the only person who can make a decision, or the only person willing to make a decision, don't think about Shabbos. Shabbos doesn't exist for you at that moment in time. Okay, it exists for me, the doctor, I have to know when and not. You, as a, as a man in the street, for you, it's Tuesday, Wednesday, any day you like. And you have to make Shabbos because you are not absolutely certain that this patient is not a Cholei Sheesh Masakala. So, under those circumstances, you must make Shabbos. Now, I want to spend uh, the rest of my time giving some examples of, of, uh, of uh, sort of things that people ask and uh, which they forgot to ask before Shabbos or they asked before Shabbos because it's something new for them. Um, I'll start off with, uh, with uh, instrumentation that one has to use at home of one kind or another. Probably the most common one is the glucometer that people who are diabetics and give themselves injections three, four, six times a day uh, test their blood sugar on Shabbat, on your Kippur, every single day of the year. They have to do it because uh, they are Obviously, if they're going to need uh, three, four, six, uh, eight injections a day, they are brittle diabetics and they need to be uh, closely uh, monitored and get the right dose of insulin. Too much or too little is pikuach nefesh for them. In fact, this is a patient who is a walking pikuach nefesh patient. He's walking, he's going to shul, but the very fact that he has this disease which forces him to, quotes on quotes, mechal shabbos, makes him a pikuach nefesh patient because if he weren't a mechal shabbos, then he would end up in hospital, and in, in certain cases, there is a mortality even in the best hospital in the world. So this, this is a sort of patient who must be treated before he gets to that stage and not after. So how do you use a glucometer on Shabbat? Uh, the lights that go on when you turn on the machine, and you have to prick your, your finger to get blood, and then you have to put the blood into the machine, the blood gives you a reading, and according to that reading, you know what your blood sugar is, and in that way, you know how much insulin to give yourself uh, at the next dose. Um, there are two kinds of machines, one that works off the wall and one which only has a battery. If the one that works off the wall, the simplest, uh, the simplest uh, si uh, uh, answer to the problem is to use a Shabbos clock. You set the Shabbos clock four or five times for the Shabbat at the times that you normally test yourself and the Shabbos clock will turn on the machine and turn off the machine and you have not done any malacha as far as turning and turning off the machine is. However, the main malacha, the real malacha, is taking blood. Uh, according to, to how we pass in, there's a machlok of Rishonim, Rashi, and, and Rambam, where they're taking blood from a, from a human being, is it Isud or Isudar and we pass in, like Rashi, that it is an Isudar and that even the tiniest half, t half drop of blood is considered a Hatsishur, and, and therefore it's an Isudar uh, And that's how uh, all the, all the post major Poskin pass in. Even Rav Aldenberg. Now, I say that for those who know that it's a about putting in an IV drip, but in a situation where you're taking the blood because you need the blood itself, and not because you want to know whether you're in the vein or not, even Rav Aldenberg uh, that this is an issue. So how do you get around that? I know of no way that you can take blood or that you should take blood with a shinui. You'll only injure yourself, and there's no mitzvah to injure yourself just because it's Shabbos. So you should take the blood in a normal way, uh, prick yourself uh, either by putting your hand inside the machine or using a, using a, using a needle, depending on what, what kind of machine you have, and then use that blood to get your blood sugar and test it and get the figure and then give yourself the insulin as you should do. Um, the other 
sort of machine that I want to talk about uh, uh, affects people who have asthma, difficulty breathing. These can be children, these can be adults, uh, this can be a first attack, and this can be a, a person who is known to suffer, and he either needs the machine every single day, uh, so many times a day to keep him under control, uh, an inhalation machine that he can get his, his medication through that, and he can moisturize the air through that, it can help him to breathe. Again, this is a patient who, if not treated, would end up in hospital. He's a Khulesh And the question is, how do I use this machine on Shabbat? And again, uh, if the same principle applies. If you can use a Shabbos clock, use the Shabbos clock. And obviously, if the patient has set times when he uses that machine, then the Shabbos clock is the answer. However, if it's a first attack with the patient suddenly from, from health, a young child, who has been to the doctor on Friday, and the doctor says, yes, he's got a slight cold, don't worry, he'll be okay, and suddenly gets a spasm, uh, goes into spasm on Shabbat, and, and, and uh, has difficulty breathing, that child is a khalesha You haven't had time, you never knew about preparing Shabbat's clock, you have to turn the machine on. And the way to do it, normally you turn the machine on with the tip of your finger, well, if you turn your finger over and use your knuckle, I claim that Akashvaru created knuckles for that purpose, so that you can use them for shinui on Shabbat's. Uh, that is the simplest way of using machinery. It makes no difference whether you use your right hand or your left hand. Both, in a, when you turn on a, a light switch and you come into the room, you, if the light switch is on your right hand, you use your right hand, and if the light switch is on your left side, you, lose, you use your left side. Most of us are lazy. We won't turn around in order to turn on the light switch with our right hand. I'll do this. So, using your right hand and right, left hand for most malachot, most malachot of the Lamitat malachot, there is no difference. Both of them are Isra Torah. But using the back of your hand, um, I have this both from Rav Noivet, who is my Rebbe, he's the author of Shimrat Shabbat Nehil Khata, and also from our Rebbe, both his and mine, Rav Shimon Zaman Zatzal. So use the back of your hand and turn on the machine, and, and when necessary, turn it off. Um, and then once you've turned it on, use it in the normal way. The most important thing is not the machine, it's the patient. And treat the patient as he should be, as he should be treated. Uh, it's become fashionable now, a new disease which, uh, which 10 years ago we hardly knew about it and now more and more has been, we see more and more patients of this kind and more and more people have this disease even though they're not always aware of it and uh, this is a disease which is called sleep apnea. Uh, people uh, don't sleep at night as they should do, they wake up snoring, they wake up uh, with difficulty breathing and then they spend the whole day sleeping and falling asleep at the, while they're driving which is, uh, which is can be catastrophic and falling asleep at work and all the rest of it are also signs and symptoms. And in many of these people it is found that uh, this disease which can be dangerous over time, it affects your brain and may affect your heart, may affect other, other, other parts of your body, so the disease has to be treated. And a machine, a breathing machine, it's a mask really, it's a, it's a, it's a glorified mask which is attached to a, to a machine. And the mask, put it into, into lay language, forces you to breathe. In other words, when, when you take your breath, it forces air in much more than you normally get, clears the air from your body, and you don't fall asleep because the, the gases in your body remain normal, and uh, it's used all night. In most patients, it is used from the time they go to sleep until they wake up in the morning. It's called a BiPAP or a CPAP, and now we have APAP. Whatever it is, just remember PAP. And, and as far as we're concerned, halakhas-wise, all three are the same. And this patient must have this treatment every single night, including Shabbat, including Yom Kippur, every single night. And again, the Shabbos lock is the, is the most uh, useful instrument that we have. He knows when he's going to go to bed. He knows when he's going to wake up. 
and putting the machine on the Shabbos clock, there's no problem whatsoever. However, if he's an older person, he has to wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Most of these machines have a self-regulatory system, and he takes up the mask, goes, comes back, put the, put the mask on, and immediately the machine takes over. And in most of these cases, whatever he's doing is at the most an issue or a bonnet, may not be any issue at all. It's life-saving and must be used. I want to, at this point to point out another aspect of Pikuach Nefesh. Many, many Jews, many, many Jews, in my experience, are from, even though they may not behave so. In other words, I'll take one example, Yom Kippur. On the radio, last Yom Kippur, on the Chiloni radio, they pointed out that 95% of Israelis fast on Yom Kippur. I have sad news for you, ladies and gentlemen, 95% of Israelis don't keep Shabbos. But Yom Kippur is separate. It's like Bris Miller. It's something that, that's got a hold of us and, and people fast. Not only they fast, they don't want to listen to the doctor who says you are not allowed to fast because you are ill. And so they will, they will fast and they will, they will look you in the face and they will come to shul and you, they, they know you completely. We don't see that more people die on Motsi Yom Kippur than during the year. And if I say to this patient, if you don't eat, you're a cholesterol for sakana. Well, I've been proven wrong. He never died. Not on Motsi Yom Kippur and not on Motsi Sittas and not the next year and the next year. He's alive and he's fasting all the time. And I'm screaming my head off and telling him you're not allowed to fast. So I'm such an idiot and I don't know my medicine. I go to Rav Ovach and I ask him, what should I do? He says, you tell him that he has to, he has to eat. So I tell him he has to eat and not my name and his name. And he smiles at me and he says, yes, yes, okay, okay. The next thing I know, he's in shul from morning till night. And he's not eating and he's not drinking. But what do you do with this kind of... How do you, how do you, then, how do you then define a different definition of Pukulach Nefesh? And I once spoke to Rav Ovach about this. And uh, his answer to me was, if a person is due to live 120 years, exactly, 120 years, not, not, a, not a euphemism, exactly 120 years. And he lives 119 years, 364 days, and 23 hours, and 59 minutes, one minute less, because he fasted on Yom Kippur 50 years ago, that's Pikuach Nefesh. Pikuach Nefesh not certainly, doesn't necessarily mean that the patient's going to die now. It means he is curtailing his life and whatever your life may be, your lifespan may be, if because you have not listened to the doctor, because you have not taken care of yourself in a situation which is a pikuach nefesh, then you have in fact literally curtailed your life. And it doesn't matter what happens now or whether it happens uh, at the end of your days. The other, the other situation that we've been asked about very often is accompanying the patient to hospital. Um, is it motor is it also? Uh, the patient is conscious, he or she can take care of themselves, they can give a good history, they can, they're not frightened, uh, but they're going, to, they're going to hospital, and if they're going to hospital on Shabbos, uh, it, it's obvious that we're talking about a Nefesh case. And he or she says, I don't want anyone to accompany, I don't need, I'm, I'm perfectly all right. Now, I know I'm pregnant, I'm going to give birth, but you stay at home, you, you look after the kids, she says to her husband, I don't need anyone. And he thinks, no, I know my wife, and she would be happier, she would feel safer if I was with her. And today we have a, a different aspect of this case. Uh, uh, 
I forgot the name that you use here in America, but it's, I'll explain and you'll know what I'm talking about. There are women whose, whose job it is to, uh, so to speak, walk the road during the nine months of pregnancy with the woman who's pregnant, encourage her, and teach her what it's all about, and how, so on and so forth. And when the time comes uh, that this woman goes into labor, this woman comes in with her to the labor room uh, and, and holds her hand and, and gives her encouragement and helps the midwife or the doctor deliver the baby. These women are, are, have now become part and parcel of our lives. And the question here is, is she allowed to travel on Shabbat, not in the ambulance that's taking the baby, the baby and, the, and the mother and, and the pregnant mother to the hospital, because she doesn't live in the district. I had a, I had a situation where uh, someone asked me, a pregnant woman who lived uh, way outside Yerushalayim, outside Yudbet Mill, which is way outside the home um, in one of the, in one of the uh, smaller towns, and she was booked, and, uh, to, and her doctor was in Sharasedek. He was looking after her during the pregnancy, perfectly normal pregnancy. And she was booked to deliver in, in Sharasedek. And, and one of these women who was going to be with her in the, in, the, um, uh, in the room when she was giving birth lived in another small town, also outside Yerushalayim, and also far away from the town where she was. And the question I was asked was uh, whether or not... Uh, if it happened on Shabbat, was the woman who was going into hospital, could she pick up the phone and call this other woman to come into hospital because she wanted her to be at her bedside when she was giving birth? And the other woman who lived in a place where there was no Shabbat story would have to drive into hospital, into town, into Yerushalayim, and go to the hospital to meet her. Uh, and from then on, uh, look after her and do what she was, what she was uh, had taught her and, uh, over the nine months. And uh, I spoke to my Rebbe of Obachter of, um, of uh, Neuvert uh, Schlitter, and he said, of course, there's no, no, no Shiloh. It's Bikwach Nefesh. This woman feels that she needs help, which her husband cannot give her, because the husband's going to be outside alone. She, although she knows the doctor, but who says the doctor will deliver her? It may be a midwife. She doesn't know the nurses. She's within four strange walls and, and strange people surrounding her. She wants a face that she can recognize. It'll give her chizuk. It will, it will make her feel better. And a, she is in a situation of and Rav Obach Satsal had passed in, in the past based on the Ramban, the famous Ramban which the Shulchan brings, that you're allowed to do everything that is necessary for that will make him feel better even though what you're doing is not in the medical curriculum. If that patient says, and he's a from boy, he's a from person, he knows what Shabbos is, he knows that today is Shabbat, and he turns down and he says to you, he says, I could just do with a cup of tea. I would feel better if, you would, if I could just have a cup of tea. And it's Shabbos and you don't have any water in the house, hot water. And your neighbor has hot water and you would gladly give him part of his hot water to make, to make the cup of tea for, for the patient. It happens to be two o'clock in Shabbos afternoon and that family are asleep. They're asleep. So I'll wake them up. It's not in the Torah to wake up a Jew. After all, she's to, to help a Jew who is in Bikwak Nefesh, same as I. Whereas to boil water, it's a derisor. And Rav Obach says, no. He says, he's not having any mitzvahs. He's asleep. A sleeping person has no mitzvahs. You are, you are awake. It's your mitzvah. And your mitzvah is not to go wake up a Jew unnecessarily. Waking something up from the sleep is, is unrepairable. You can never pay him enough money to, to, for the loss of sleep that, you, that he unnecessarily you gave him. You boil the water yourself. And so based on that kind of sack, uh, my Rebbe Paskin, that uh, this woman can drive in on Shabbat in order to get to the, uh, to the delivery room to help the woman who needed her help. 
This is part and parcel of Pikuach Nefesh. It's not just what the doctor does, it's what the family do. Um, I've, seen, I've seen patients who are lying in hospital, uh, very ill, and a friend comes to visit them, and the sort of conversation you say, oh, you know so-and-so, he died last week. I was at the funeral. Is that what you have to tell the patient? The patient who's lying there, deathly ill, that is someone he doesn't know died. Tell him good news. Tell him something that will make him smile, that will make him laugh, that will make him happy. If he appreciates it, tell him a devout Torah. If he doesn't appreciate it, tell him a devout Torah. Maybe he'll appreciate it for the first time in his life. You, we, 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 we don't understand that, that learning Baba Kama with someone who's never learned, who's never learned Aleph Bait is, does more for his soul than, than, than teaching him some nonsense that you get in, 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 in books which have nothing to do with Torah. Torah is something that comes from soul to soul. It's not my body, it's my soul. My soul was given to me by the Kishmoruku. And the Kishmoruku is Kula Torah. And that my soul is Kula Torah, or should be. And I have to share it with your soul. And, the, and the, I can think of no better time to share it with a person than when then he's ill. It gives him encouragement. If he doesn't want to hear Torah, so you tell him, stop, don't, don't talk to me about this. Tell, talk to me about something else. Tell me what the football, football game last night. So I say, no, I'm very sorry, I didn't even know there was a football game. So I'll talk to him about something else. But I have to make him happy. It's part and parcel of his getting better. It's part and parcel of the, of the therapy of Pikuach Nefesh. And, and, and all of us can practice this. You don't have to be a doctor. Um, as a doctor, when I go and visit a patient, uh, even though he doesn't need me, he looks upon me as, as, as someone who really shouldn't have been here. And well, what are you doing here? I came to see you. He feels better because someone came to see him. Um, so certainly this woman can, can travel. In the house. Of course she can't go home. Um, that's another story about how she gets home, but that's not for today. I'm talking about the Kuch not necessarily all the various things that are involved, involved with us. I um, I don't know whether I should continue or leave time for questions. What do you want? If you want to ask questions, then I'd rather talk about what you want to hear rather than what I want to talk about. I'm open. Huh? Continue? <laughs> um, One of the one of the, uh, one of the uh, other other common problems that, that uh, one is faced with on, on Shabbat is uh, is driving on Shabbat. Um, you live here in a place where goyim are available. It's not so difficult. You go down the street, you flag a cab. 99.999 percent of the cab drivers are goy, and 99.999 uh, percent of the cab drivers are goy, and so you have no problem. You're going into hospital for. Uh, for a, a reason, for a Pukwach Nefesh patient, either because you're a physician or because you're a family member, I'll stop you for a moment and tell you another uh, story that happened uh, with uh, my Mariva Rabbi, Rav Noivet Shrita. It happened on Friday afternoon that someone was seriously injured in a traffic accident and he was taken to a hospital outside Yerushalayim because that's where he was at the time, uh, somewhere in the Tel Aviv area. And, um, just before Shabbos, uh, they managed to get a message through to the children who were living in Yerushalayim. 
and uh, the patient was lying there, he was being treated, but the, the children didn't know what to do. Should they go and see their father on Shabbat? There was no way, it was just a few more minutes before Shabbat. They would have to travel on Shabbat. The taxi driver, unfortunately, could well be a Jew. Or should they take their own car? And then this, obviously, they're going to drive the car there. Um, is it necessary? Or should they wait till Motzei Shabbat and then, and then go in straight away uh, after Havdalah? And, uh, and Rav Noivich the pastor that they must go straight away. And none of them are doctors. Uh, none of them know anything about medicine. So what are they going to do? One, obviously, give encouragement to the father. The father's lying there after a major accident and to see his sons at his bedside. On the one hand, he'll have sar that they were Mechal Shabbos, but on the other hand, he'll, he'll be extremely pleased that he has someone he can talk to, someone he knows, someone who can, who can do for him, run errands, talk to this doctor, talk to that person, bring me this, do this for me. In a situation where there's Pekwach Nefesh, Pekwach Nefesh, Mechal Shabbos, even though it's not at the side of the patient, but if it's for the patient, you have to Mechal Shabbos. Um, and so, and so he passed him that uh, these people can, can go in on, on, on Shabbat, uh, drive in on Friday night and spend Shabbat with their, with their father and be with him in order to help him because, as he put it, the patient will get better treatment when the family are around him than when he's lying there alone in bed with no one to talk to. Um, even without that reason, I think, whether he gets better treatment or not, if the patient thinks he's going to get better treatment, because his son is over there, that already is enough. Even though it may entirely be wrong, he's getting the best treatment that one can get. But he feels that the fact that his son is there, the son can talk to the doctor, he's too tired, he's too weak, he's too ill to understand what the doctor is saying to him, then that is enough to how Shabbos derives for the patient. So uh, again, that, that is something else that one should remember. And Bezrat Hashem, none of us should ever need it, all the things I'm saying, but nevertheless, uh, one has to, has to know what one is permissible or not. Under no circumstances must you go and ask a love. Should I or should I? The very fact that you say should I or should I has made you a posse at that moment in time. You have at that moment in time become a posse, the world's biggest posse. Because when you say should I or shouldn't I, the psaq is that you must. So what's the point of asking her off? You already know psaq. You've made a psaq. And that psaq is backed by the shofanar and backed by the shas and by, and by the mar. So. You don't ask the Rav if there's a situation of pikuach nefesh, mamish pikuach nefesh. Obviously, if there's a question of a lesser degree and the patient can wait, and you're absolutely certain that the patient can wait, the problem is only what do I do, how do I do what I, what I should do, there's a place to go looking for the Rav and, and, and then do what he says. Um, now, the... the uh, so I was going to talk about driving. So if you have to drive a car on Shabbat, and a real, real emergency, your wife is about to give birth, the ambulance says it's not coming, or it'll be too late to tell you we'll come in 10 minutes, and you want your, your wife to be in hospital in one minute, so you're going to take the car out and you're going to drive her, that's the way it should be done, the quicker the better. Obviously, the ambulance is better because there are people there who can, if anything happens to the woman, she starts to give birth in the middle of the ambulance, there's someone there who can take care of her, whereas you're too busy driving to take care of your wife who's lying in the back. Nevertheless, when time is of the essence, then you have to drive your car. How do you drive your car on Shabbat? If anyone looks in the Shimonat Shabbat Kehil Chata, both in the first edition and the last uh, edition, which Bezat Hashem, there will be a third edition coming out, uh, I hope, uh, before Rosh Hashanah, but I'm not sure. At the moment, it's going over extensive uh, changes in Hakahot. And um, I, I saw the new edition, uh, or at least part of it, 
and there states uh, what uh, both of us learned from Rav Obak Satsal, that you drive on Shabbat, that you drive on Tuesday. If you drive on Tuesday safely, then drive on Shabbat safely. If you drive on Tuesday, then you should be at least on Shabbat car safely. You must remember that driving in any other way that you're not used to, using hand signals instead of, instead of using the, the winter, um, not using the brakes, rather slowing down and approaching the red light, you're asking for trouble, not only for you, the driver, for the patient who's lying in the back, and for the guy who's driving the car behind you, and also for the pedestrians. In Israel, most people drive with their hands out anyway, and they don't mean they're driving left. They really mean they're going right, or not, nothing at all, they're just resting their hands. And, and if you do this to them, then they think you'll be shigar is trying to wave them down and they'll come and beat you on the head because what, what right have you got to scream at me with your hands? So you have to know where you are, but I, even in the United States, even in England, where people know road signs, you've never used your road signs, you use your winker and you use your brakes, then you drive exactly as you do on, on, on Shabbat. You don't want to add to the sorrows of the patient. Moreover, even if you live in an area where there is no Eruv, Okay, I, I don't know where there are areas even not in, in America, in, in New York. I'm not interested. If you live in an area that everyone says there is no area, no one's allowed to carry. And there's a Shusha Rabbi de Arais, there's 600,000 people there, and, and, and Tetvab Amar, everything. You filled every, every, every uh, um, reason that this should be a Shusha Rabbi de Arais. You must take into the car your driving papers. The worst thing that can happen to you is being stopped by a cop and says, show me your papers, and you say, I don't have them. Why don't you have any Shabbos? He says, what's Shabbos? What's going to happen to the patient in the meantime who needs, who needs help immediately? Until you convince this cop that this patient needs to get into the hospital quickly, precious minutes, if not more than that, may be lost. You are allowed to carry your papers into the car, even though you're carrying from the shoes and your heat, your house, into the rabbi. If you remember, put the papers between your shirt and your, and your, and your inner, inner garments, so it's a shinui, stick it inside your belt, or put it inside your shoe, under your hat, anywhere except in your hand or pockets. And that way, it's not an Isidarabah. But only if you remember, don't go looking for ways to do a shinui and leave your wife or the patient lying there when she should already, or he should already be in the car and you driving. If time is of the essence, I, I heard from Rabbi Omar Satsang, I'm sure you've been told this, there's a makhlukit where the Shabbos is dukhui, or, 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 or um, it's, it's a head of the gummy. In other words, the Shabbos there, only I have a dispensation to Mechal Shabbos, or when there's a Cholesh Shabbos before me, Shabbos suddenly changes into Sunday. And for everyone else, the Shabbos for me is Sunday. I can do what I normally do on Sunday. And the Shabbos is that we don't pass in like that. We pass in the Shabbos is there. It's Shabbos, and you have to know it's Shabbos, and you have to know how on Shabbos to deal with a patient with Cholesh Shabbos um, but in the situation where we're talking about a sakana mamash, the patient is deathly ill. Now, not in five minutes' time, I heard from the Ovax and South, Shabbos doesn't exist. It's a Tuesday. And therefore, you don't go looking for ways and means to, to do a shinoi or do bidi evid and, and, and go and ask this person or that person. For, as far as you're concerned, the data suddenly changed. It's no longer Shabbos. You have to do everything. The only one thing in your mind is to the patient. Um, Again, I'll give you another example. I, normally, when there's a code in the hospital, the patient stops breathing, he stops, uh, his heart stops, uh, signal goes out, and, and doctors and nurses in the department will come running in with the machines, and they gather around the patient, and they start treating him. And my job is to stand at the foot of the bed and, and look at the monitor, which is a, a 
right across me and see what the doctors are doing and make sure that they do the right things at the right time and here and there give advice. I have no hands-on medicine. I'm, I'm just standing at the bedside. There's the monitor and just above it there's a clock. And I, I have to lift my eyebrows one millimeter and I can see the clock. And I asked Abba, again a theoretical question, I wanted to learn the halakha. I said to him, what happens if everyone's in the middle of this resuscitation and it is, the resuscitation was taking place before Motse Shabbos and in the middle of resuscitation, which can take half an hour, an hour or even more, depends how much, you, how much time you want to spend on this particular patient, how much hope you have that this patient will recover. And all of a sudden, I, my eyes go up, I see the clock and I see now it's Motse Shabbos. So, it's Sunday, it's now Sunday. But no, it's not yet Sunday, it's Shabbos. And if I would just say aloud, Baruch HaMafi Bekorish Tehol, and everyone around me would hear it and say Amen and not say Amen, boom, the clock is changed, it's now Sunday. And everything they've been doing now, which is, as I say, it's Shabbos, but they, are, they have a dispensation to Nechav Shabbos, now it's Nechachila, it's Sunday. So why should I say this? A theoretical question never ever arises, but I wanted to learn how far this clock nefesh goes. And it's answered me, what position do you have looking at the clock? You should be looking at the monitor. Okay? And we're talking about one millimeter, a half second of taking my eyes off the monitor. It happens all the time. We, we take off our eyes from the monitor because I have to look at something else, talk to someone while they're, doing, while they're doing their job. But I'm not allowed to look at the clock. Shabbos doesn't exist. It's already Sunday. I know it's another half an hour for the stars, but it's Sunday. Why? Because I have this patient in front of me, and my job is to save his life. Not to think about Shabbos, not to think of halakhas of Shabbos, and what the Rebbe said, what the Rebbe told me in the Shia last week or two weeks ago. I forget everything. I have one concern in life. I don't, I'm not concerned about the other Jews who are in my department, who are, who are also ill. Nothing. This one patient. I'm dealing with him. This is what I can do. The person at home has that same day. He mustn't think. He mustn't even begin to think. What do I do because it's Shabbos? On Tuesday, you don't worry about Shabbos. On Shabbos, you don't worry about Shabbos either. If the patient needs your help now, you do it now. And you do it as quickly as possible and in the, and the, and the simplest way. So when you drive on Shabbat, you drive normally. You use the normal signals, you use your brakes, you use, your, you use the accelerator, you don't break any laws. You must not break any laws in the country in order to go a shortcut. There's a shortcut the wrong way down a one-way street and you get to the hospital 10 minutes earlier, you save this patient's life, you're not allowed to do this. Because if a cop standing there, will not take you 10 minutes, it will take you 10 hours to get to the hospital after that. You must keep the law. But within the law, you must drive as quickly and as safely as possible to get that patient to So much so, that if an ambulance driver or Hatsala driver is driving within the limits that he's allowed to drive, he's allowed to drive faster than we are, he's allowed to go through red lights, they do it all the time, provided you use enough signal, and he has an accident. And he has an accident, he either causes injury to, uh, uh, to, to property or to a human being. Is he in halacha liable or not? So before it's tomorrow, I won't go into it, but the, the psaq that I had from Rav Obach is is completely exonerated. He was doing a mitzvah, so long as what he was doing was within the law, the law, his law, in other words, what the law allows an ambulance driver to do, which he won't allow me to do, uh, because he has a sign and flashing lights and all the rest of it, then so long as he was within the law and driving carefully in the circumstances, he's completely exonerated and he doesn't have to pay damages and he doesn't need kapara for what he did to a human being. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I've, I'll stop here. Go ahead.
You have to speak up aloud, I have trouble hearing. We have non-Jews in Israel as well, if you didn't know. Um, in my department, which is about 40 to 44 beds, depending on the pressure we have from downstairs from the ER, I have at any one time 10%, roughly 10%, give or take, non-Jews. Tourists, people who live there, Arabs, Christians, uh, all sorts. Um, I can't remember the last time I examined the city out of a patient before I treated pharmacists, so, uh, um, but um, you have to know that uh, physicians are really busy, and most times they're busy, and when they're writing a prescription for a Pequot Nefesh patient, they're writing the pres prescription under stress of the second Pequot Nefesh patient who's waiting to be treated. I'm not making an excuse, I'm just pointing out the facts. Most physicians can't read their own handwriting, never mind you reading their handwriting. Um, maybe the computer age will, will change all of that when things will be, will be written on, 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 on by computer as opposed to handwriting. Um, but what can I say to you? You're perfectly right. But if you get a prescription on Shabbat, which is illegible, you do the same thing that you would have to do on Tuesday. If you know the physician, you trust him, you call him up, find out what the prescription is, and he'll refill it out for you on Moshe Shabbat. If you don't trust him, he has to write another prescription. The concern is not you and not the physician, it's the patient. If that patient is given a prescription by a doctor who thinks that that patient must have his medication on Shabbat, then you have to write that, uh, that prescription, with or without cover from the doctor, depending on your rapport with that particular doctor.
The question was that the patient who was a Bukhlafnefesh is permissible for a member of the family to call the patient on Shabbat um, and see how he's doing. Um, interestingly enough, Ramoishi Zatzal deals with the question of whether Bikur Cholim, whether you're Yodzeh Bikur Cholim by telephone, not on Shabbat, weekday. You're too busy, you, you have other things on your, on your plate, and you at the same time want to become the Mitzvah of Bikur Cholim. Are you become the Mitzvah of Bikur Cholim by telephone? He says, no. The Mitzvah of Bikur Cholim is to see the patient. Patient to see you. By seeing the patient, you usually appreciate how ill that patient is, and therefore you will daven for him. The main purpose of seeing the patient is not to exchange views with him, but to daven for him. And Rav Olbach quotes, uh, quotes Chazal that if you see a patient and you've done everything for him, but you haven't daven for him, you're not guilty the mitzvah of the Kurponi. So that's question number one. Nothing to do with Shabbos. If you, if you, if you only can't possibly uh, physically see the patient on a weekday or then you're allowed to, to at least do something, which is to phone him up and give him chizuk. Now on Shabbat, that's not the mitzvah. Uh, even though on the one hand it's giving chizuk, but the mitzvah is to go and see him. And if you can't see him on Shabbat, so you go and see him on Motsi Well, that was done, and, 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 and that was done. It's for the, this is for the sake of the patient. You want the people, the people that to go. If you think that they will go on Shabbat, then you have to make the Shabbos. Yes. Two questions. One is uh, both regarding medication. One is uh, what happens if the patient has X number of days to take his antibiotics and the last day falls on Shabbat. And if I understand you, the question is, can he take that medication on Shabbat? And the question number two is uh, someone who has uh, high blood pressure and for some reason or another he hasn't got his tablets for that Shabbat. Am I quoting you correctly? Uh, does he have to take his tablets on Shabbat? Am I quoting you correctly? Yeah. Okay. Um, in both, in, in every situation where a patient has the definition of not which is defined as someone who is ill in his whole body it's not just my finger that's hurting me it's not just my head that's hurting me but I have such a bad headache that my whole body is suffering from that headache I, can't, I have difficulty in moving around I have difficulty in going to work um, that kind of, of situation where the whole body takes part in the illness, the flu for instance, it's not just your nose which is running the, and your, your lungs that you're coughing, your whole body feels ill, you have a temperature and so on and so forth. That's the definition, a very loose one, of Choleshi Enbosakana, and a Choleshi Enbosakana, it is mutter for him to take his tablets, all his medication, on Shabbat, the same way as he takes it during the week. When your patients are obviously um, not in that category, uh, unit tract infection is a cholesh yesh a patient who has high blood pressure is a cholesh yesh if he were to take his medication. Uh, so certainly it's easy for me to answer the second question, the hypertension, the patient with blood pressure must take his blood pressure tablets on Shabbat, he must take them on Yom Kippur as well. But obviously if he can possibly swallow them without water, then he should swallow them without water. If he can't, well that's another story we'll talk about some other time. As far as the antibiotics concerned, I'm not sure. I don't know what the right time is. I remember the times when the unit tract infection, we gave antibiotics for two weeks. 
14 or 15 days. Then it dropped to 10 days. Then it dropped to a week. And now we're treating patients for three days. So I don't, I don't know where we stand, what is correct. Maybe, we, maybe tomorrow we'll be treating them with one shot. And, and there are certain uh, bugs which, will, which, will, which you can treat with one shot uh, antibiotic. So the last day of treatment, I don't know. But there is a before shulchan oral that any treatment that you have started three days before Shabbat, that was Thursday, Friday, Shabbos and Thursday, so first tomorrow as well, uh, in a particular situation where there was a pikuach nefesh, you're allowed to take those tablets on Shabbat as well even though it's like the last day of the treatment. Happened to Rabbi Yochanan, it's a, it's a, it's a Gemara, and, 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 and it was a poor neighbor situation, and that's what he did. Yeah. I was just asked that question, the answer is no. If she wants to know, she has to send a messenger by foot. Well, if you think, if you're the physician and you think that that patient is a Pekuach Nefesh, the answer is yes. Because now it's not the husband who's in trouble, it's she's in trouble. Um, and and there, is, there is basis for this. There's basis for this. Rav Obach, that's how points out. I don't know what it's like in the, in the US, but in, in Israel, many, many times when a person dies, and he has an elderly father, grandfather, grandmother, mother in the house, and they have to tell the news to the fact that her son has just died, suddenly, without, without warning, uh, they call a doctor first to make sure that uh, something doesn't happen to her as a result of receiving the news. He uses that as a, as a, as a pukhazi. Uh, since people do this, then it is, it is motive to do this. But of course, we're not talking about Hillel Shabbos. If the situation that you're, that you're talking about, a messenger has to be sent, to go back and come back. If it's a goy, then you can go. You just tell the goy, I want you to go to, the, to this hospital in this department, and this hospital has to be 20 miles away. That goy is not going to walk. He's going to take his car. None of your business. If you ask the goy to go there, he'll go in the car, come back in the car. That's none of your business. You just ask him to go. And if he takes a helicopter or goes by foot, that's his problem. Uh, and he'll come back with a message from, from, the, from, the, from the father. Yeah. Okay. 
Nothing in the world stands for hope of profit, except for a few cardinal sins, and we're not talking about those. So, I had an example on, on, on Shabbos, I was in another town in, in the US, and, and, and uh, there was a question asked, uh, a rav has a shear to give to 30 people. And at that moment in time, when he's supposed to be in shul giving a shear to 30 people, a Petrofnevich situation turns up, and he has to go by foot, or drive his car to do whatever he needs to do in order to solve the problem. Okay, that's the scenario, the true scenario. Um, and and uh, it's obvious that everything goes by the board. There was someone who was a Talmud Hafim sitting in, in, the, in the audience and he was surprised. Do you mean he has to rebuttal Torah for 30 people because, because he has to save a Jew's life? It's not immediate, he can, he can go after and give it a year. It's only an hour, an, an hour later. And, um, I got very upset and, and I answered them, I said, you know, if the whole world, the whole world literally, was listening to this rod, it was the dawn of the Mashiach had come, he was giving a shir to the whole world, and it's because of the situation which only Mashiach could deal with, then the whole world would have to do without Torah for that hour. They have to learn their own Torah. The Kuchnevish, nothing stands before the Kuchnevish. So when you would say that he, he, will, he will have to give up business deal, if the business deal was, was a hundred thousand million billion bucks, he would have to give it up for the profit. Uh, 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 so I don't, it doesn't, I don't understand the difference the weekend the Shabbos. I'm sorry? I'm saying So he's wrong. He's wrong. There is no justification, but he himself has to count. The word justification doesn't apply. There's a Havatha, he's down, Allah says, give everything up and go and have a challenge and have a young to become whatever you want, give up whatever he's going to earn and work to save life. So the, the, the question that was asked is, after you've dealt with the patient with the cockfish, what do you go about getting home? You, the doctor, the nurse, the midwife, whatever it is, how do you get home uh, on Shabbat? And the second question was, uh, was uh, if someone was too busy to go and do people holy on a Friday, can you go on Shabbat? I'll answer the second one because, because that's an unfortunate You're not allowed to, to pass over doing something on Friday and save it on Shabbat just because you have more time. Bikul Holi must be done when 
you can, and Bikur Cholim is only allowed on Shabbat with the Ezet. Okay? Bikur Cholim is only allowed on Shabbat with the Ezet, and a weekday is Lechachila. You have to go. On Shabbat you only go because you couldn't have gone on Friday, not because you didn't want to go, because you couldn't have gone. There was some physical reason which prevented you from going on Friday, and you can't go on what's Shabbos, and you know the patient needs you, he'll be happier for you, you're allowed to go on Shabbos. Bikur Cholim usually is a sad meeting. People, people are sad because you see the patient who's, who's ill, the patient starts talking about himself to the, to the person who visits him, he becomes sad, and Shabbos is not a day for sadness. And therefore, Hazal, as it says, Bekoshi, with difficulty, permitted a person to go and visit a, a sick person on Shabbat. I'm not talking about the situation of people who are I'm talking about the stand visit that we all do. Your first question is, is much more difficult, and I'm going to run into hot water here because I know there are many Rabbonim who permit, who permit people who are being out on a pitwakhnefi situation, a solar driver, a, um, a doctor who's been out on a pitwakhnefi situation, uh, and to come back home driving his own car. Uh, I, uh, this is based uh, apparently on a tumor from Ramoshi Feinstein, and I have great difficulty in understanding the diff- the, how this. Psak came out of Rav Moshe. Rav Moshe doesn't write anything of the kind. Rav Moshe Zatzal writes, the scenario was that a Hatzalah ambulance was uh, on Friday night, late at night, in a district which was a, a dangerous district, a district that it wasn't healthy to be there. They had to go and see a patient, and they saw the patient, they came back, and the question they asked him was, since they were in a situation where, at the very least, they would be attacked uh, for the equipment that they had in the ambulance, but uh, as a real danger that they would be for themselves as well because of the situation which they were, could they return home? And what I don't understand is why that Moshe Zatzal spent a number of two or three pages answering this question, so one line answer, yes. You get out of the district as quickly as you can. But Moshe goes into the whole city, the two cities that are in Shas, about uh, the permissibility of someone who is Mechalel Shabbos, on Shabbos with the Kuch Nefesh, what happens afterwards, uh, two Mishnayas, and, and he goes into that, and at the end he says, yes, you may drive home. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Kuch Nefesh. He's talking about an ambulance crew that are in a situation where they themselves to stay there overnight at the Kuch Nefesh. As far as I know, that's been made a basis in many places. I was once in a, in a very large city in the United States, not New York, and I was asked to speak to Hatzalah, and I said, fine, uh, what do you want to speak about? He said, both medicine and halacha. I said, fine, I'll do my best. I walk into the room, and sitting there's the Maraviyatra. And I, I couldn't understand what he was doing there. I went over to him, and I wished him, and I said, hello, and I knew him. I said, uh, what do you want me to speak about? If you want me to speak about medicine, I'll speak about it. He says, you can speak whatever you like. Say whatever you want, but don't talk about going home on Shabbos. <laughs> I, I, felt, I felt that, uh, you, well, you know, there is, there is Hillel and Shammai, there's a Bayi and Rava, and there's, and, and there's a Mahloket all the time. And to bring out a Mahloket in the open, I can't see what the sin is. I was with a Paskin, but, but I have Rav Olbach behind me. Rav Olbach disagrees with the, with not the Sakh of Rav Moshe, the is, is obvious. He disagrees with the interpretation of Moshe, the Paskins, and many, many Gedolim in Eris Israel Paskin, that it is also to drive back to, to drive back from the situation on Shabbat, He's allowed to ask the boy to drive him back. In fact, every Jewish doctor who is out on household 
drive to the hospital, has to have a tame boy that he pays. It's, it's, you're putting money in the bank in Ulamabab when you're paying the boy, and the boy will drive you back with Shabbat. He has to be obviously at your back and forth for emergency situations. You are not allowed to drive back. You can get a boy to drive you back, but you are not allowed to drive back, even though, and even more so today than in the old days. In the old days, there was no way to communicate with a doctor except at home. Nobody carried beepers and nobody carried cell phones. There wasn't such a thing. Okay? So in the old days, if, if you went out on a call, there was no way the next patient could get hold of you except by ringing you at home. And since you're not at home and your wife can't contact you because you're, you're, you're somewhere where you're not available, she doesn't know where you are, um, then that patient is going to suffer. So maybe, maybe in that situation there would be a, 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 a way of finding a heter. No heter was, heter was only given under very extraneous circumstances. Today, when nobody walks down in the street without at least two cell phones, and maybe a beeper as well, I mean, what's the problem of going home? Why should an ambulance crew have to go back to the station? Because there's children waiting for them in the ambulance station? They can be called at any time, at any moment, wherever they are in the whole of the city of New York, uh, by, by, by cell phone. So they have to stay where they are and then go back so long as it's to the next call, then by Jewish driver. But if they're going back because it's more convenient, obviously they can't sit there even though it's no danger. They have to use a non-Jewish driver. I'm quoting Rav Shemazam Al-Bakhtetzal. I'm quoting Rav Yoshi Shlita. I'm quoting Rav Noivet Shlita. But as I say, I'm not fascinating or saying that this is what should be done here. Rav Polsky here and one should go according to the person that he deals with. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for your attention.